Hi, I'm Daryl Bain. Thank you for tuning us in for the study on the Gospel of John. Here, servants for Christ. When we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Here tonight, in Wednesday in the Word, we'll be talking about out of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 71. Taking care of supper and storms. You know, John chapter 5 closed last time with Jesus referencing Moses, and he told the Jewish religious, religious leaders that it was ultimately going to be Moses who accused them before the Father because Moses had written about the very son they rejected. But here in John chapter 6, the words and the works of Jesus remind us of Moses. The scene takes place around the Passover feast. And I'm glad that it commemorates the exodus from Egypt, which was led by Moses. Here in our text, Jesus led a large group of people across the water to a mountain where in the midst of their hunger, he miraculously, he feeds them. Later on in the chapter, Jesus will explain that he had not come into the world merely to give the people bread, but to be their bread, the bread of life. And as we look over the story of this miracle meal in John chapter 6, we're reminded of the ability of Jesus to meet our needs. He can feed us. He can fill us even when there doesn't seem to be enough supply. Beyond that, we're reminded that he is what we really need. It is him our souls really crave. It is the bread that truly and eternally satisfies all of us. And while the others were written to tell the story of Jesus, Matthew to the Jews, Mark and Luke to the Gentiles. John was written for Christ's church, the gospel of the deepest spiritual and theological teachings of our Lord and Savior. John's gospel emphasizes Christ's deity to a greater extent than any of the others. Of the synoptics of the similarity of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John began not with Jesus' birth, but with a statement of Christ's pre-existence. Amen. And so, take your Bibles with us over into the book of John, where we'll talk about taking care of supper and storms. Amen. Here we want to welcome every one of you to come and be with us. If you're not in a church currently at Bethel Crossroads Baptist Church, 450 Island Hero Road, Taylorsville, Georgia, 30178. Come and be with us, amen. Here on behalf of Pastor Keith Dempsey, I'm glad that we'd love to have you come for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11, and our Kids for Christ on Wednesdays, and our Bible study from 6 to 7. Now, here our Bible trivia. What other miracle besides the feeding of the 5,000 that was recorded in all of the four Gospels? You see, the first miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle aside uh, from one other thing that's recorded in all of the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What could it be? What other miracle besides the feeding of the 5,000 was recorded in all of the four Gospels? Think about it just for a minute. And it's always at the end. <laughs> of every one of the Gospels. I just gave it away. huh? What's the answer? The resurrection. 
Besides the feeding of the 5,000, the resurrection, those are recorded in all four of the Gospels. Now, when we look at this, we think of Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. One of the shows that's been airing on the Food Network that's called Dinner Impossible makes you think of Mission Impossible, doesn't it? Well, the premise of the idea of this show is that Chef Robert Irvin is faced with the challenge and the dilemma of preparing a large meal for a lot of people in a short amount of time. For instance, in one episode, the chef had to prepare an Elvis-themed meal for Priscilla Presley and a group of 100 Elvis fans, and he only has an hour and a half to do it. And so, when we look at this, it sounds like one of those TV shows that how does he how does he get done? How does he do it? But I say from this that we give Chef Robert five biscuits and a can of sardines and ask him to feed several thousand people. And that would be a dinner impossible. Well, that's exactly what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did. When we look at all of the the 21 chapters in the book of John, we come to the sixth of the chapter, the vey, and with the vey, it represents of the Hebrew alphabet because every one of the letters of the book of John represents a Hebrew alphabet uh, from uh, from chapter one all the way to chapter six, and the vey represents a hook or a connector that holds two things together. Jesus is that connector, and I'm glad that he is the one when we look at those things that are in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, I'm glad that they were two miracles, amen. And out of those two things, he was the hook and the connector that brought it all together. I'm glad out of the two miracles of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 24, of the first miracle and verses 1 through 15, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then we see the second, uh, uh, the second miracle in verses 16 through 24. Jesus walks on water. He's the hook. He's the vow. Uh, and so when we look at how that he brings the spiritual, the physical, and the spiritual together and hooks them together, praise God, we realize not only is it two miracles, in these long, long 71 verses that we've got to get with it uh, to be able to get through this in an hour of our Bible study and Wednesday in the Word, we see not only the two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on the water, but the two messages that are involved in John chapter 6. I'm glad that here from verses 25 down to verse 71, we will get into those two messages one that deals with the public and the other one that deals with a private part of the message, amen, that we begin to get into. Now, when we move right along, we realize here that this story is so important, again, that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And one of the main truths of this passage is that God can take something that's little and provide much because when God is in it, Makes me think of uh, of the lady that wrote the music, Little as Much When God Is In It, Amen. Uh, man, 
Uh, I thank God, what a beautiful song, and God is able to do the impossible, uh, no matter what the mission is. John 6 reveals Jesus to be the provision for every human and material need. Jesus first demonstrated the truth, then he began to preach it and teach it, and he showed that he was uh, concerned with every need in life, even a missed meal. Concerned with every overpowering need, the coming of the storm, praise God. No matter how small the need, how stormy the problem, Jesus is the provision. He's the bread of life and the power to meet man's every need. He can provide a single meal. He can calm the most stormy problem. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ is the bread of life, the provision for human and material needs. Hallelujah. And so we look and realize the, the, that he's trying to meet human needs uh, and no one can meet him because he is the number one source. If you tried in any other fashion, you'll be doomed to failure and you'll not satisfy. Faith and trust are the essentials for God to meet the human need. And there's several levels of faith and trust that we've got to learn from this lesson that man must learn in order to see that Christ is the bread of life, the provision for human need. Hallelujah. And so as we look, and we begin to realize that as we see the areas that are involved, amen, as Jesus is going to be able to come out of here. And as he does uh, later on, as he begins to feed the 5,000, amen, I'm glad that later on, that storm, he begins to come out of here. When he lets the disciples get in the ship, they come back out and go right back in to land and they're out there for hours until Jesus comes out walking on the sea and calms the sea and takes care of everything. And so uh, we notice that in this area, uh, as Jesus is doing a great deed of taking care of almost 15,000 men, women, boys, and girls out in the and in, in providing the needs and necessities uh, for these ones, praise God. And so, as we see the feeding of the 5,000 that took place uh, away from the towns and perhaps somewhere west of Capernaum here in this area, Jesus often returned to Capernaum where Simon Peter had a house. And uh, I've showed you pictures where I went out there. I'm glad that when uh, we were out on the Sea of Galilee, hallelujah, I'm glad that Squire Parsons got out there with us on the ship and he began to sing the master of the sea because I'm glad that Jesus is the master of everything. He can feed with the least of little and he can calm the stormiest of seas and the problems of life. And here again, we begin to witness uh, some two great miracles in John chapter six, amen. And I'm glad the first miracle that Jesus, he feeds the 5,000. I'm glad that of all the natural laws of uh, that he does, praise God, when we look and we begin to realize that if you witness a miracle, it's uh, uh, probably because immediately there was a, it changes you, it brings uh, the law and all the things, God is real. And I'm glad that here we see a miracle can also change the way one relates and praise to God. And I'm glad that the danger of being able to look and realize that what God is going to do, amen, here in John chapter 6. Now, 
I'm glad that when we look at this, we're reminded of what the Lord is going to do. And so, as we get ready uh, to go into it, uh, let's uh, uh, begin to lift up uh, the power of God uh, and ask him to help us in our Bible study. Father, we pray over the word of God and we ask you, Lord, through your sovereignty and through your might, give us what we need to speak, uh, Lord, to those that are listening within the, the body of Christ. Many, Father, are hungering. Lord, they need spiritual nourishment. And Lord, many, Father, are in the storm of their life like they never saw. But God, you can calm the storm. You can uh, provide what's lacking when there's a spiritual hunger that's lacking, Father. Lord, where the, the, the people are famished because, Lord, they got out of your will. They got out of church. And, Father, they are so starved to death for a spiritual meal that we've got preachers behind the pulpit today that are entertainers and that, Lord, that are up trying to uh, just entertain instead of to uh, give glory and honor to Jesus Christ. They're up to build a name for themselves and to make themselves look good instead of making you look good. But, Lord, we're here just to teach the word of God. And I pray, God, that you'll intervene. And, Lord, that not me, but you will receive all glory as you will begin to turn the light on for some people that have been looking at this scripture for a long time and they still don't understand it. But, Lord, tonight and Wednesday in the Word, you'll begin to let the lights come on in their life and their heart. And, Lord, I thank God as Brother Max uh, begin to uh, talk, uh, Lord, and pray for us. I pray, God, as he did for the lost, because the most important thing, may we be a, a witness and example for the lost, and may they see Jesus in us. Lord, I thank God, Brother Eugene Jenkins, Lord, as he'd always say, that, Lord, that our lives are the only Bible that some people see. And, Lord, I thank you for the many uh, old seasoned men and women of God, those from uh, uh, People's Valley, God, uh, those, Lord, from uh, Oakland Heights, Lord, those from Woodstock, uh, Lord, that we uh, uh, come up under through the years. And, Lord, down in Ackworth, Father, and, uh, and down in Cobb County, Father, and, Lord, way over in Marietta, Father, oh, Lord, I pray for the many, Lord God, this this night, God, that you will uh, continue to bless us with the presence of the wisdom and the knowledge of these wonderful, discerned men and women of God, Lord, in Jesus' marvelous, mighty name, amen. And so, when we get into the word of God, that first miracle of feeding the 5,000, many of us, we have saw this, we've read this, we're very familiar with it. But it tells us, it says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Now, you know what? Many of us, when we look, and as he tells us these things, I'm glad uh, that uh, after these things refers to Jesus' message to the crowd that wanted to kill him. Jesus takes a trip across the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and the Lord is on the west side, the Jewish side of the sea, and he wants to flee from the crowd and get some rest. 
Jesus must go over to the eastern side of the Gentile side of the sea. And the trip is a four-mile trip. And the multitudes, uh, they were impressed by the miracles. And they crossed the rugged hills and the terrain and also the Jordan River uh, to get to Jesus, most likely the Golan Heights area. And it was an enormous crowd as they were out there. And all of a sudden, uh, the evidence uh, of all of this that this group eventually was going to forsake the Lord. Later on, in verse 66, late in the day, the people were tired. They were hungry. Uh, and so if uh, they had uh, televisions, they would have been humming the McDonald's theme song, You Deserve a Break Today. But they didn't have anything like that. They didn't have the local grocery store. They didn't have the Kroger's and the Ingalls, amen. They didn't have the Publix to run down and to get something. And so they were hungry, and Jesus had compassion on the multitude, praise God. And so even though that he wanted to get rid of the people and, and, and all of that, but the Lord knew that they would faint. And so I'm glad that uh, he began to uh, be concerned about them. And so we see the test of faith that is coming on. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with the disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now, I'm glad that when we look at this, we're reminded uh, of, of the time frame, because the roads would be very crowded with more traffic than usual because of the worshipers heading toward Jerusalem for the Passover feast, looking upon the needs of the people. Jesus asked Philip, where the grocery store was located. Where can we get some bread? And he asked Philip because he was from Bethsaida and would have knowledge of that local area uh, that was around and about him, praise God, that was taking place, amen. And so this was a desert place and the time uh, was far past. And Jesus then lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come unto him and he said unto Philip, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat, praise God. And I'm glad when you look at the crowds uh, of an estimate of 15,000 uh, counting men, women, boys, and girls out in this crowd, praise God. I'm glad that when we look and go on, uh, we see here uh, that uh, in verse 6 and 7, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And so, we see that uh, all out of this, the Lord says, Lord, we've got 200 penny worth of bread, but that's not enough. Uh, the penny worth or a denarius was equal to one day's wage. They had 200 working days of wages or about nine months of wages for bread. And it was interesting to note that the numbers uh, uh, and the significant meaning in the Bible that the number 200 is associated with insufficiency in the Bible. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, we see the insufficiency of money, where Achan's 200 shekels were not sufficient to save him from the consequences of his sin when he took the idols and hid them, praise God. We know that in 2 Samuel chapter 14, uh, verse 26, and 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9, we see the insufficiency of the beauty as Absalom's 200 shekels of weight uh, uh, of, of hair were not sufficient to save him, but instead led to his doom. 
We know in Judges chapter 17, verse 4 and 18, the insufficiency of mere religion as Micah's graven image was purchased for 200 shekels and led to the introduction of idolatry into the nation of Israel, blotted out the tribes of Dan and Ephraim from the blessings according to Revelation chapter 7. And so we know in Ezra chapter 2, it shows the inefficiency of the eternal things and the worship of God as Ezra's 200 singing men and women were not sufficient to produce peace with God, the true spiritual worship, the joy in the Lord. Only God's word can minister, praise God. And so the insufficiency was there, praise God. But I'm glad one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? I'm glad that when we look at this, we see the barley was for the poor and the wheat was for the rich. And here, being from this location, even where Magdala, uh, Mary Magdalene uh, was from, where they had the, the small fish that was salted, that this little lad, being from that area, had it in his possession. Amen. And I'm glad that out of all of those people, praise God, I'm sure that there was more than this little old boy. Amen that had some food, but he was the only one that said, I'll take the little bit that I've got and I'll share it with somebody. And so the, the boy was poor, amen. But I tell you how many others had food, but they didn't stop. They didn't stop to share it, amen. And so I'm glad that he began to take the, the time, the, what little they had, amen. Andrew was that uh, people person, amen. And so Philip lacked a little faith, amen. Philip needed some help. He needed to see his faith for what it was, amen. It was little faith. And I'm glad that Philip was from Bethsaida. So he was the natural disciple to question. But Jesus, I'm glad when we look and realize today, out of all of those ones, when God began to bless, all of a sudden the baskets and the baskets and the baskets until they were 12, of the fragments that were left over, praise God. And so, and Jesus said, make the men sit down now that there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000 and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples of them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. And so I'm glad that when Jesus begins to bless there's always leftovers, amen. Let them sit down, amen. I'm glad that when we look and realize God can fill the baskets, amen. He can take care of with ordinless, amen. He can do the right thing when no one else can, praise God. And so he is that bread of life that can supply the hunger, amen, and feed the many no matter what. His is uh, one that can do the impossible, amen. And I'm glad that as we look at these disciples and how every one of them, 12 baskets for all, all 12 disciples was left over, amen. And just as we look through uh, the many things that sometimes our heart uh, is not in it a lot of times, uh, sometimes we look and realize that uh, the disciples, as they gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost, praise God, that we go into the word, amen. He tells us, therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them. 
that uh, that had eaten. Then those rose. The, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, "This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world." They were talking about Deuteronomy chapter eighteen that talked about a prophet that would come and do this. Amen. And just because they saw this miracle, that was what made them believe. Amen. Just in Jesus at that time. And so it's sad uh, because you know what? Just because everybody's got a big crowd over to church don't mean they're doing something for the Lord. It doesn't mean that they're accomplishing a great thing just because they got a big crowd. The devil can bring a big crowd in too. And I'm glad here around Capernaum, uh, here uh, the Lord was doing a great work, amen, uh, uh, as everything that was transpired and that was taking place. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone, amen. Here, as we see the first miracle that he feeds the 5,000, we see the second miracle that Jesus began to walk on the water. Just as Squire Parsons sung about the master of the sea when we were out on the Sea of Galilee. Hallelujah, praise God. I'm glad that when we look and realize again that when they come out of Capernaum uh, and uh, as they go out, their uh, uh, boat comes right back in, praise God. As I said earlier, amen, that they come right out and go right back in. And so from this, uh, we begin to realize that God is going to do a great work. And when even was now come, his disciple went down into the sea, entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And so it is in the darkness that each and every one of us, we go through the darkness that Jesus is, uh, uh, he provides the light that we need he delivers us from the power of darkness and into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so here we look and realize that uh, uh, out of all of this, uh, he goes on, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and 20 or 34 longs, they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. Amen. I'm glad that he's the master of the sea. Amen. No matter what, as he's walking out on the sea, drawing night unto the ship, praise God. And uh, he controls uh, the wind. He controls uh, uh, the storms and the waves of life. Amen. I'm glad that when every one of us look at uh, that, uh, that God is never in a hurry. Amen. He's omnipotent. He can afford to wait. Sometimes the Lord waits to intervene in our lives. Why? He does this to make... Uh, his hand more evident in the deliverance from the trials that we're going through. And when he comes to our rescue, he wants to develop our faith in him as he wanted to develop the faith in his own disciples, teaching us to wait upon him. Praise God. Isaiah says, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment, blessed are all they that wait for him. And so we we face a variety of storms in our lives each and every day, praise God. The storms and the life of a Christian in that raging storm that Jesus calms their hearts. He tells them, it's me, don't be afraid. He offers us the same message today that, we're, uh, uh, that we are to fear not, praise God. 
And so storms that affect our fitness and our health, storms that affect our finances, storms that affect our family, storms that affect our friendship, storms of fierce enemies that come our way, amen, that stab us in the back and that try to uh, have a, a bullseye upon us, amen. Uh, uh, the storm of flogging from the Lord where he says, you know what? I'm going to get your attention. You know what? You ain't, you've been out of church. You're out of the will of God and you belong to me. Don't worry. I'm going to get your attention some way or another. And praise God, don't you worry because when I get your attention, you're going to know that uh, it's me and the storms of the finality of death. Amen. And so we look and we see that he goes on and here he says in verse 20 and he says unto them, it is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whether they went the day following, when the people noticed that, which stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was none other boat there, save that one where into his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with the disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Here we see that they... Uh, out of the word of God, the distance that was uh, covered here. Jesus invited into the boat, and, and all of a sudden, another miracle takes place. They arrive at the shore immediately. And you know what? Because when we look at this here, that's another miracle that a lot of people overlook. As soon as he got into the boat, whoosh, everything calmed. And immediately, they were on the shore, back where they started, in about face. And so God is so good to us when he comes to our rescue. And I'm glad that as soon as he gets in our vicinity, that he leads him to the still waters. Our Lord wants us to receive him into the boat of our lives as our Savior and our Lord. And when storms come our way, he wants us to trust in him and think about what happened with Joseph for a moment. Joseph had been had not been Egypt's prisoner, he would never have been Egypt's governor because the iron chains around his feet ushered in the golden chain around his neck. God does not waste our suffering. If he plows the seed of suffering in our lives, it's because he purposes to bring a fruitful crop in all of us, praise God. And so I'm glad that the Lord has a purpose, amen, as he walks on the waters of our storms and our lives. These passages deal with the answer to man's great hunger from verses 22 down to verse 29. Answer number one, know that man has a great hunger and a great need, and only the Savior, our Lord, can fill the void of that hunger. Amen. And so it gets not only from the two miracles of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in verses 1 through 15, and all the, uh, the, the second miracle praise God, of Jesus walking on the water from verse 16 down to verse 24. But we see the second part, the two messages from verses 25 down to verse 71 with the public comments that come in because people sought Jesus because of his miracles. And uh, the people who see uh, the Lord as he's there, some of the things that are taking place, amen, out of this, we continue on in verse 23. How about there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread after that the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Here, 
we look and realize in verse 25, and when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And I'm glad that from this we see that first a message, amen, because here that first message of uh, this is public comments from verses 25 down to verse 66, and that is these passages deal with the answer to man's great hunger, but again, the answer is know that man has a great hunger and a great need. That is what we're seeing here, praise God. And so Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which pereth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Lord, which the Son of God shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And I'm glad here is the very first mention of the sealing, praise God, that the Lord is going to do. How powerful that is to know that uh, when we look at this word sealed, the first mention of God here in John chapter 6, verse 27, amen, how powerful that is uh, that uh, the Lord is going to do a great uh, sealing for us, amen. He seals all of us up with the Holy Spirit's promise. The sealing that refers back to Jesus' reception of the Spirit at the Jordan River. It was the custom of the Jewish priest to select a lamb from the flock and inspect it carefully of the defects and set the temple seal upon it, which would indicate that it was an acceptable sacrifice. And the Egyptians would put a label on the horn of their sacrifices. They would put wax on the label and seal it with a stamp of a ring whether metal or clay, and at the Jordan River, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, presented himself for inspection. God the Father looked down, found him without blemish, without spot of sin, and God the Father was pleased, and he put the seal of separation under the sacrifice and the service upon him, a seal for the preservation. Amen. I'm glad that we're preserved in Jesus Christ, the simple process of being able that he takes the fruit of the harvest and places it in the jar. Amen. And I'm glad that every one of us, as we have not only uh, that preservation that he gives us, amen, but also uh, that we see the seal that signifies authenticity, that the Holy Spirit sets his seal, indicating that the work of Christ is satisfactory, amen, that seal with a clay or wax stamped with a metal or stone seal ring around uh, the neck that it was worn, that it signified the signature of someone, that the document was valid, that it was authentic, that it was genuine, that the seal that holds the presence of the Holy Spirit proves that the Christian is genuine, hallelujah, and the possessor of Christ, not just a professor, but they're authentic, amen. And so I'm glad that you can go all the way back over into the Leviticus of the seals that indicates and the security in the ancient times, amen that the seal of the king represented security. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, King Darius sealed it up where no one could come in and open the door that sealed him uh, when the Holy Spirit shut the mouths of the lions, amen. And so I'm glad that each and every one of us have that same seal uh, as well, amen. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Here we see 
these passages that deal with the answer to man's great hunger. Answer one, know that man has a great hunger and a great need. But answer two, acknowledge that man's motive is corrupt in verses 26 and 27 for all the wrong reasons, amen, of that first message of public comments. But also, answer three, we labor for food that endures, that gives eternal life in verse 27. But also, do the work of God and believe in verse 28. Then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Amen. Here we see he goes on and he says to us that he tells us, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he has sent. They said, therefore, unto him, what sign shewest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In verse 32, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And so I'm glad that when we look at this, we begin to realize that he goes on and he talks about do the work of God and believe in verses 28 and 29. Christ was seen, but he was rejected. The people demanded a proof in verses 30 and 31. Christ is that true bread, amen. He tells them that Moses didn't give that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And so they go on because they're looking at everything in the wrong perspective, amen, from the message. They're looking at the physical and not the spiritual. For the bread of God, notice he says, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. The pronoun that stands out when people overlook the scripture for the bread of God is he Praise God. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. It's sad today that the many people that are still seeking signs uh, today in their life. But I'm glad that he tells us from that message, amen that first message of the public comments. Christ was seen, but he was rejected. People demanded proof in 30 and 31. Christ is the true bread in verse 32. Christ is the bread of God in verse 33. Christ is the bread of life in verses 34 and 35. But in verse 36, Christ was seen, but he was rejected. It's sad that all of this that they saw, but yet they still rejected the Savior. Jesus is still talking, and he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. I'm glad that even when they tried to uh, find him and come upon him, amen. I'm glad that when we look at that and realize that out of this, they could not, they could not get to him because the Lord controlled his time 
in everything that he did, praise God. Jesus is the bread of life. And he corrected the Jews, amen. And he began to get them on the right page, praise God. And so Jesus clearly said that any man who comes to him will in no wise be cast out. That's a double negative, a strong, forceful promise. Never, no, never be cast out, amen. And so I'm glad uh, that he tells us this. And so God wills that Jesus should lose nothing. The words, I should lose nothing, amen. As we look at the Greek word, that means that he will not lose anything, not even a fragment, not any part of what God has given to him. And so the believer has great assurance of our security. That assurance, number one, God's predestination of verse 37. And then that assurance, the second, Jesus' word says that assurance, it gives it. And then that assurance, number three, that Jesus' purpose to do God's will in verse 38. And that assurance for that God's will for those whom he gives to Christ in verse 39. And then in verse 30, that fifth assurance that God's will is for the believer. Everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. We have that assurance, praise God. And I'm glad that here, when we look and we realize that out of all of these things, amen, that Christ, he speaks concerning God's salvation, amen. Their confusion, they want to know how that he got there. They seek him only for the physical bread. They don't know how to please God. They assume the Old Testament manner came from Moses, amen. They don't believe in him even though they have seen him, amen, and his correction for them Amen. That they are to seek him for the spiritual bread. That he, they uh, will please God by believing in him. And he says the Old Testament manna came from God. Amen. And he speaks concerning God's sovereignty. Amen. Guaranteeing that all the elect will come to Christ. They will never be rejected. Guaranteeing that all the elect will continue in Christ. And I'm glad that all who believe in him will be raised at the last day. Boy, if that ain't powerful. That's speaking concerning God's salvation. That's speaking concerning God's sovereignty of that message. Amen. And it is very critical. And so I'm glad that when it is God's word, amen, I'm glad that it is the word uh, that you can bank on. Amen. And so I'm glad that every one of us, as he began to hammer uh, at the heart, of all of us with the power of his word here we begin to realize that he tells us then the jews murmured at him because he said i am the bread which came down from heaven and they said is not this jesus the son of joseph whose father and mother we know how is it then that he saith i came down from heaven jesus therefore answered and said to them murmur not among yourselves no man can come to me except the father which has sent me draw notice that and notice it in just a minute draw him and i will raise him up again he says at the last day the reaching of god and how a person is saved pay attention because when we look we see that as we get into uh, this, the religionists rebelled against the, the claims of Jesus. A person must be drawn by God. And so they murmured against him. It refers to the buzzing, the discontent that arises from a crowd that's upset, that's confused, that's misunderstanding, that's rejecting, that's opposing the speaker. And so the bread that came down from heaven 
came down, amen. I'm glad the Greek, again, is of the orist tense, which means Christ came once, amen. He came once, and I'm glad that what he did on the cross of Calvary, that he was broken, he was broken, amen, for all of us when he hung on that cross. And the word draw, derived from the Greek word helkuo, it implies resistance to the drawing. There's always, I'm glad that he came to me in 1972, amen, and I turned him away. Thank God he came back that night. He draw, but because I had resistance to that drawing of the Holy Spirit, the old fleshly nature that every one of us the incarnation had never taken place before, nor will it ever take place again, because the miraculous entrance of the living bread into the world is a one-time-only event, and the bread, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to provide spiritual food for man, spiritual and eternal life. And so the offer of eternal life is conditional. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. It's conditional, but they refused it. They rejected it, and that's the problem with the world today because Jesus continues to answer them. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath uh, heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me, not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Very rarely I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In verse 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. And so, as he continues to answer them, we see the religionists that rebelled against the claims of Jesus and the people that must believe on Christ. Because in verses 47 down to verse 51, a person must believe four things. They must believe that Christ is that bread of life. That bread that feeds and nourishes man spiritually, that saves and gives man life. Secondly, a man must believe or a person or a woman must believe that Christ is out of heaven, that he has come to deliver man from death. Step out on faith and take him at his word. Thirdly, a person must believe that Christ is the living bread, the one that gives life to man forever. And fourthly, a person must believe that Christ gave his flesh for the life of the world. Christ identifies the bread it is his flesh which he gives for the life of the world. But later on, they're going to think of cannibalism. They're going to think of everything wrong. Even some of the disciples are going to think of it wrong. Well, where is their mind is more physical than spiritual? How is a person saved? And the father draws again back at verse 44 that we talked about men by his word, the teaching and the preaching of the scripture that draws men to Christ. And the Bible says that Christ draws all men, but not all respond to him. And that is the problem. And so, as we go on, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If, man, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will uh, give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat. You see, they were not even looking at it in the right fashion. And it's sad that when you've got people like this that don't even believe in the right manner 
because when we look and realize that here, from all of the things that are being said, their criticism, he's simply the son of Joseph. No one can physically eat his flesh and drink his blood. And his correction, Jesus said he is the bread of life in verses 43 down to 51. Jesus said that anyone that wants eternal life must spiritually eat his flesh and drink his blood. Amen is what he's telling them. Many of his followers did, did, uh, decided against him when we get over here in just a minute. And it's sad. A man must receive and partake of the bread of life. And when he does, he receives five wonderful things. Amen. The religionists were perplexed over Jesus' words. But the word strove, amen, means to argue, to fuss, to debate. They were debating what Jesus meant. And so then said Jesus unto them, Very, verily, I say unto you, remember, truthfully, truthfully here, when he says, Very, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember, he was not talking about communion because communion was not even established yet. So he's not referring to communion. Don't get that mixed up. Here, as he looks at the, the results of, of receiving Christ, the bread of life, the eternal life, a man must receive and partake of the bread of life. It's not communion. It's about salvation. And when he does, he receives these things. Amen. Praise God. He begins to receive the result of conquering death and being resurrected. Hallelujah. And so, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. And so, the word for eat, trogon, is different. It means to eat eagerly the grass that chunks to eat with pleasure. It is the picture of hungering after Christ, eagerly wanting to feed and feast on him spiritually, praise God. And the word indeed that means true as, a, uh, as opposed to false. For my flesh is meat truthfully, and my blood is drink truthfully. It's true as opposed to false. This is seen in the word dwell, mini. It means to abide, to continue to dwell, rest in or upon. It is being fixed and set and remaining there, continuing on and on and on. Such is the state and condition of being of a person that receives Christ that we receive Christ into our being, that Christ enters the person's life, abides within them, and the person is taken, placed into Christ, that is placed with all other believers in the spiritual body of Christ. And so a man must receive, partake of, of the bread of life. When they do, they receive five wonderful things, amen. Eternal life, conquering death, and being resurrected. True, not false satisfaction, supernatural companionship and fellowship, praise God. But then we go on. As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father so that so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your father did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so I'm glad. When we look at this, we see that a man must receive and partake of the bread of life. Five wonderful things, amen. As we pick back up, the life that is full of purpose and meaning, amen. Uh, and the fifth result, the add on to what I had already been saying, incorruptible food received within the heart, energizing the life forever, praise God. And so here and verses 60, 63, many of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? 
when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doeth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? In verse 63, it is the spirit that quicketh the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so the disciples had a hard time with this. And so the word hard, uh, which means not hard to understand, but hard to accept. The Bible is like this too. Many Christians understand God's word, but they struggle to put it into practice. Maturity and growth are determined by putting truth into practice. Men are often offended by Christ, but four things in particular that offended Jesus' message was to the synagogue crowd in Capernaum. But here he goes on in verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore saith I unto you that no man can come unto me except it be it were given unto him of the Father. From that time many of the disciples went back, walked no more with him. And so, three responses to the Lord, the response of regression and defection. Amen. It's sad that there's always going to be some that uh, don't respond uh, to the Lord. Amen. Men are often offended by Christ by four areas. Amen. Jesus' message was the synagogue crowd in Capernaum. There was the idea of eating Jesus' flesh and drinking blood, which was totally out of character and was not looking at it spiritually, but physically. And there's the ascension and exaltation of Christ. And there's the teaching that the spirit quickens and the flesh profits nothing. And so the fact that God saves man, man does not save himself. These are the things, amen, that he deals with those offended. The private comments that he tells, lastly, in verses 67 down to 71, then said Jesus unto the twelve, see, because it was private, it wasn't public, but it was just to his apostles, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him that normally Peter would put his foot in the mouth, but this time he did a great job in responding, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. And he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Here, that second message of the private comments. Here, the disciples had a hard time with the truths of what Jesus was saying. And so... We see that there's many always, the response of the aggressive and the defective. Those folks that were fair weather followers, they came to get something and quit when suffering and giving and sacrifices was in view. And the following the Lord, there's always a cross. There's always a cross to bear when you follow the Lord, no matter what. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. You're going to get sick just like everybody else. You're not exempt from all of the heartaches and the pains. Then the second, the response of rejection and deterioration because Judas was a villain and he pretended to follow the Lord, but he was not a true follower. And then the response of resolution and determination because in verses 67 down to verse 69, Peter got the message. He was loyal to Christ. Peter says, we believe. And he speaks for all the disciples. Judas fooled Peter, but he did not fool Christ. And so I'm glad who among us, church, will go out from us. You say, well, where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? Where are you going to be in 20 years? 
I thank God I've been doing it for 50 something years saved. Amen. And so the chapter ends differently than it started. It started with crowds wanting Jesus as the king. He had to flee from them. Amen. And it closes with the Lord asking, will you go away? Will you? What is your response to Christ? Will it be rejection, regression, or resolution? What if Christ comes back? I want to be living right. And it was in that moment that we can be saved, amen, for 52 years that I, God reached down. He miraculously took my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh. I look back at all of that time in 1972 of all that he's done for me through the years. Boy, I tell you, I've let him down so many times. I've done wrong. And boy, I'm going to tell you, I've had to go back to the altar and get on my knees. But I'll tell you, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, God truly changed me in 1972. The sin that I once loved, I now abhor. God was the one that changed everything about my life. He changed me from the inside out. And I'm glad that every one of us, when that happens, we're no longer the same person that we used to be. We've got the, the power of God that he set up the Holy Spirit within our lives and he changed our entire life. Amen. And so thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. Amen. Here, as we get close to the end, taking care of supper and storms out of John chapter 6, we realize that the physical food can sustain your physical body only for some time because it's necessary and it is needed, but it doesn't last. Jesus satisfies your spiritual needs now and for all eternity. You have an unlimited access to spiritual nourishment through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Father, Lord, as your power, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us everything that we need when we need it. Lord, as we look at your love and how much you loved us, how much you do for us, that you filled us up with the fullness of the Lord. Amen. We acknowledge your sovereignty. Nothing can get to us without first going through you, Lord. And Lord, we trust you for all eternity. You are the one that can quench our thirst. You're the one that can feed our hunger, praise God. You can be with us in the time of our storms, amen. We trust you now, and Lord, we know that you're the rock of our refuge, praise God, our shield and our Savior, and all the mighty things we pray in Jesus' mighty name that we pray, amen. God bless you.